I'm going to invite you to Romans chapter 5 is where we are today. Romans chapter 5, and we're going to talk about living in God's abounding grace, which is a, a pretty general title for Christians. If we don't know anything about the grace of God as believers, Lord help us, right? This is the anthem of what we are about. And so Paul is really sharing the heart of Christianity in Romans chapter 5 today, living in God's abounding grace, which I know for some of us, we might be very familiar with the idea of God's grace, and this might sound a little bit mundane, but it's important for us to remind us, like, uh, the idea of, of God's grace and how central it is to our life. Like, right now, you may be coming into church this morning just feeling broken and, and, or, or hard-hearted and things just aren't working the way that you anticipated. And, and God's grace is a great reminder for, for what we need in our life to find ourselves renewed and refreshed in Jesus. Um, and if you don't feel like you're, you're really on the, on the ledge of needing God's grace right now, you, you will get there, right? And so, so the idea of Romans chapter 5, and truth be told, all of us need it all the time, but Romans chapter 5 is, is that passage that reminds us of the goodness of God's grace that Paul is going to uh, reiterate over and over within this section that we're going to look at, picking up in verse 12. And just a way of reminder of, of how we got to where we are in Romans. Romans 1 to, to verse 17 shares the anthem of what Romans is about, the anthem of Christianity. Uh, verse 16 and 17 especially are those, those pinnacle passages of all of Romans. Uh, he says, for the righteousness of, of, of God is revealed to us. Uh, for, the, for the just, we're justified by faith in Christ. Um, it says exactly, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for those who believe, the Jew first and also for the Gentile, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. That's, that's the theme of, of Romans. And then in verse 18, though, he then gives us that warning passage of the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness. And he goes throughout Romans, the first half of, or second half of chapter one, all the way into chapter three, telling us who exactly is under God's wrath, which is a great section of scripture to work through, right? It's the, the, the table talk that you enjoy with, with other people. Let me tell you about God's wrath and how all of us are under it. That's the conclusion of Romans one, two, and three. All of us are under God's wrath. But at the very end, of chapter three, then he, he gives us this thought once again. He says, but the just shall live by faith. Those that are going to be justified by God, it happens by faith. And as if to say then that, that the audience reading Paul's letter would say to Paul, okay, Paul, prove it. And in chapter four, he, he, he uses the example of Abraham. And if you remember, we, we looked at the life of Abraham through a couple of weeks, but he uses this example of Abraham because to the Jews, there is no, no greater Jew than Abraham. I mean, he's the Jew of the Jews. He's the one that started what we call Judaism. <laughs> Abraham was the first one called out by God, right? And from a pagan place. And what we find about the life of Abraham is Abraham was a pagan. I mean, his name acknowledged paganism. And, and, and God pulled him out, not because of Abraham being great, but because God was great. God demonstrated his faith towards Abraham. And now he reminds us in chapter 5 that you can be like Abraham too. And it's not because you're great. It's because God's great and God's grace is poured out on us. And it's in that thought then we, we learn the importance of, of what it means to be in, in God's grace. And, and he's going to do it this morning by comparing us between the idea of Adam and what that means, being born from Adam, and then the idea of, of Jesus. And he talks about in the very beginning in verse 12, uh, a theology that some people find uncomfortable. Um, it's not a popular theology when you start in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. People don't pick these first few verses as their favorite verses in the Bible, right? These are uncomfortable verses. But, but the reason Paul does that is because in our spiritual life, we tend to not do things and, until we recognize something is broken or there's some discomfort or pain involved with, with where we are. 
I, I was reminded of that um, this week. Uh, this week on Wednesday, I, I went and had my wisdom teeth taken out, which I know what some of you might be thinking very judgmentally. Um, aren't you a little old for that? Um, <laughs> I, I'm 41, just so you know, but when I, I, I went to the dentist, I, I would also like you to know that the dentist's office remind me I'm a little old for this, all right? I mean, every time I asked the question, the respo- uh, question about getting my wisdom teeth taken out, the response was, well, at your age, right? Like, 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 I'm only 41, and you guys make me feel like I'm ancient here. Like, every response, I'm not kidding, every person that walked in the room, they started off, well, at your age. You know, that's like, uh, but, but here's the reason I did it. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why I waited until I was 41. They didn't bother me. I'm not like, I know some people are like, just take them out, you know, and I'm, I'm like, I'll take them out when they're a problem. They're not a problem. But then there was a night <laughs> where there was some pain. And I told Stacy, like, I probably shouldn't say this, but I will. Like, I, t- I told her, like, if right now, if I could find just some crackhead in the back alley that would just knock me out with a hammer and pull it out with the pliers. Like, like that's, that's where I'm at in this position. It's like, there is so much pain. But, but it got to the place where the discomfort, like, qualified the need to do this. And... And this is what Paul's saying in, in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, he brings us to this place to recognize our spiritual condition. We have this, this way in life to kind of just look at things and say, you know what, as long as we're progressing towards getting better, that's all that really matters, right? But, but Paul wants us to understand in Romans chapter 5, there's, there's something happening in our spiritual condition that warrants the need to do something about it to be able to experience God's abounding grace. Point number one in in your notes is this, to to get to that place, we must acknowledge our position in Adam. We must acknowledge our position in Adam. And Paul here in doing that, he wants us to, to see how much one, we need Jesus, and number two, how much Jesus makes our adversity approachable. That's the beautiful thing about the grace of God. You don't have to hide where you're, you are with him. You can come directly to him because he is the great healer of our deepest problems. And that is ultimately our position without Christ. We need to know how much we need Jesus. So we need to know how much uh, Jesus makes our adversity approachable. And in verse 12, he starts off like this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all had sinned. And so he's acknowledging our position in life because really Adam. Because of Adam, he's saying sin, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So, so death spread to all because all have sinned. And so this, this, this one man, Adam, Adam is like, he's the representative of, um, I, I don't know if you, maybe you'll follow this illustration, but Katniss Everdeen. You remember the Hunger Games, right? Uh, the 12th district, you know how it goes, just three fingers. In. But Katniss Everdeen was like this representative in the Hunger Games of all of her people in her district, and she went out and fought for them. Um, she, she was that, that headship. And in fact, uh, uh, theologians refer to this as federal headship. Adam is this federal headship, one leader to, a, to represent a group. That's what Adam is for us. And if you don't follow the Katniss Everdeen representation, maybe like we could say just the president of a country, a leader of a country. When they sign a bill into law, the president would be acting on behalf of all of the people that he represents. And in light of that, Adam becomes our representative. And so when you read this verse, some people might ask the question, wait, wait does, does this mean because of Adam? We're born under the curse of sin and death? Or is it because of my sin that I am responsible for? And, and the answer to both of those is 
Yes. Yes. Um, we're born under the, the curse of sin and death because of Adam, and, and you are a sinner because you sin. Those are all true. And so uh, there, there's accountability. But Adam is your representative. And because of Adam, you're born under the curse of sin and death. Now, when people look at that, they say, well, I object, right? Because I don't want that kind of, I don't want that leader. I want a different leader. <laughs> this, is, this is not a good leader to have. So, so let's, let's find something else to represent me. I don't want to be under Adam. He's a poor leader if, I, if I'm under the curse of sin and death. So give me, give me a different leader. Well, good news for you. Um, when you read the context of, of Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 14, Paul starts with this thought. He, he leaves that thought for a minute in verse 15 to 17, and then he jumps back to this thought in verse 18 and 19. And so I'm going to skip ahead and, and, and read. For those of you that are like, I, I want a different federal headship here. I want a different leader. Well, verse 18, it goes on and says, Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's disobedience, the many will be made righteous. What Paul's saying is, if, if you want a different leader, the Bible gives you a different federal headship. And that one is Christ. So under the idea of, of Adam, um, we're, not just, we're not simply trying to get better. We're not, life is not ultimately about just simply improving. What he's saying under Adam is we need a total transformation. We need something completely different because under the state of Adam, it's sin and death. It's not just trying to improve upon sin and death. I mean, if it's dead, it's dead. You can't improve on dead. We need something radically to transform and change your life. And this new federal headship that he, that he represents here, he talks about, is, is Jesus. And the way that he talks about him is interesting here. He talks about in verse 19, for by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. He identifies this, this individual to represent you being Jesus as a man. Now, let me just say this. this. This is very important theologically in our understanding of the significance of Christ in our life as to his identity and how his identity matters for us. Very clearly, he's calling him a man, meaning Jesus became 100% man. Um, in order to be a sufficient sacrifice for you, to represent you, he would have to become what you are. And Jesus was 100% man. And at the same time, while Jesus was 100% man, he did not lose his identity as 100% God. Jesus didn't become less God. Um, Jesus all of a sudden didn't become God. Jesus has always been God, and, th and that becomes essential too. Uh, because in order for Jesus to be a, a, a perfect sacrifice for you, he would, he would have to be perfect in and of himself. And this is what it says at the end of verse 19. The one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. It's not just simply enough that Jesus was a man. Jesus must also be God in order to be a sufficient sacrifice for you. Here's the reason why. When you read in Romans chapter 3 verse 10, it tells us there is no one righteous. In Romans 3, 23, all of us have sinned. There is no perfect human being. Another human being cannot adequately cover uh, what you have to pay to God because of your sin. Because all of us have a sin debt. We're all negative. Before a holy God, we're all negative, in debt, and the wages of our sin is death. So someone that is in debt can't then come pay your debt because they have nothing to offer for that. What Jesus told us in Mark chapter 10, verse 18, he was approached by the rich young ruler and he was referred to as good. And Jesus' response in Mark 10, 18 is no one is good but God. 
Every human being is a sinner. But Jesus was perfect. And the reason Jesus was perfect was because he was God. And in his account, there is, there is no negative. And there is enough in his account, more than enough in his account, to pay for all of our sin debt. Jesus is both God and man, and it is essential for what Jesus has done for us. By acknowledging our position in Adam, we have opportunity then to look for another solution. Not to just simply improve on what's broken, but to find in incredible transformation through another way. And Paul is bringing us to this place to represent humanity under two headships. These are the options. The federal headship of Adam or the federal headship of Christ. And the reason Paul is doing this is because in the Jewish mind, in the religious mind, they, they would come to this, this discussion with a third option. And, and Paul goes back and he talks about this in verse 13. He says, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there, law, there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgressions of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. And what he's saying in verse 13 and 14, he's coming to these religious leaders. And, and before these religious leaders, if they pose the question, how, how are you getting to heaven? You know, what's your eternal hope in? And their response would not be Adam and their response would not be Jesus, but their response would be religion. I'm going to live these laws that God has given us. And based on my performance of this law, God will then see that I'm worthy of his love and give me his, his grace. And, and Paul is saying to them, how can that even be possible when, when Moses was the one who received the law? What did people do from the time of Adam and Moses? People were still dying. The wages of sin was still upon them, even before they had the law. And before they had the law, what option did they have then? And it's in order to get them to think that there was something that existed before religious law. And so therefore, before the Jewish Old Testament gave you a certain law to live by, what is it people had to live by? In order to help them to think that there was something outside of their religious structure. There was something that people needed more than just law. And he's saying, look, uh, the, the law certainly pointed to us how much we need to God, but, or how much we need the Lord. When you have the religious law, it identifies for you where you've gone wrong. But still, people suffered under, under the, the wages of, of sin, which was death. And by the way, when we talk about death in this passage of Scripture, we're not just simply talking about buried under the ground. What you'll find within verse 12 to verse 21, when it mentions the idea of death, it often contrasts it to the idea of life. And when it talks in terms of life, what it's talking about is eternal life, living forever in the presence of God. Juxtaposed against this idea of death. And death in, in this, that communication is being separated from the relationship with God. Since Jesus himself is life and gives life, when you're cut off from Jesus, what you have is death. You're separated from life itself, being separated from God himself. What Paul is acknowledging is there isn't a third option. Law does not set you free. There is the federal headship of Adam, or there is the headship of Christ. And so point number two Paul makes for us is this. Embrace the gift of Christ. Embrace the gift of Christ. Verses 15 to 17, what Paul desires to do is to stir our affections for Christ. In, in Adam, we have sin, but in Christ, we have a gift and for our hearts to marinate on, on this richness of Jesus as he 
peppers our lives with, with thoughts of refreshment and the hope that is Christ, knowing we're not called to stay in Adam, but to walk in the goodness of, of, of the Lord. And so he says, but the, the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more had the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. I love the way that God describes it here. Because when we think about what Jesus has done for us, sometimes there's this reluctance in our, in our soul to say, am I really good enough? Does he really care for me? And, and he starts verse 15 by saying this. He has this free gift. It's free. Gifts are intended to be given away. But you've got to receive the gift. You've got to, to take the gift. And he's saying, how much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace that one man of Jesus abounded for, for many it's as if to say, you know, it's, it's not fun to talk about our position in Adam, right? That's not the most enjoyable conversation. But in, in looking at our position in Adam, it, it surely brings to light the, the beauty of what we can have in, in Christ. It's as if to say, Paul is saying in this passage, look, and, and all the challenges that we found in Adam, hang on just for a minute because I'm gonna, I want to tell you about something Jesus wants to give you. He wants to give you this free gift of grace. And then in verse 16 and 17, he starts to impact what that looks like in our life. Like Now talking about this free gift of grace, then in verse 16, let me, let me communicate what, what this brings into your life when you receive this in Jesus. He says, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following our one trespass brought condemnation. And, and, and you know what that's like. Right? The idea of condemnation that no matter how, how much you might try, you're still not good enough, you're not loved enough, you're not, you're not cared for enough, you're, you're, you're not worthy enough. You can't measure up. And you just feel defeated. Right? And, and we try to live that religiously. That's, that's the idea of what, what the, this religious performance brings to us. You'll see that in, and when we read verse 20 in just a minute, that, that no matter how much you try in religion, religion leads to two places, pride or despair. You start believing that, yeah, you, you're great, and that's why God loves you. He just can't resist it about how awesome you are in your performance. Or you look at all the religious laws, and you realize you can never measure up to that, and you get to this place of despair. This idea of condemnation. But then he goes from there. But the free gift, if you want to know what that's like, following many trespasses, brought justification. This free gift, looking past your sin, forgiving your sin, brings about for you justification, meaning right relationship with God. What Jesus wants to offer you is complete transformation, right relationship in God. Maybe bring us to the place to ask the question, what, what do you believe right now? Before the Lord, do you see yourself as a place of condemnation? Or in the free gift of Jesus, do you see yourself as justified? Verse 17, then he goes on and says, for, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, 
much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. He, he, he gives this idea of, of two types of reigning, right? The idea of death reigning in Adam, but life reigning in Christ. And when we talk about this idea of life reigning, he means actively now in the presence of the Lord. The life of Christ can reign in you both now and for all of eternity. In Jesus, right now, in Christ, you are referred to as a royal priesthood, 1 Peter chapter 2. That is your position in Jesus because of this free gift that he offers if you receive the gift. You are a, a royal priesthood. In, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21, you are an ambassador for the king, representing him because you belong to him in this life that reigns both now and for eternity. This king reigns now and you in him. Your spirit has life right now. Paul's hope for us. Never get over what Jesus has done. This gospel truth is the foundation for, for shaping your soul. And when you look at a, at a world that struggles with identity and value, and then you look at what, what Christ has done for us, it begs the question, why, why reject Jesus? Why, why do people hate Jesus? Why, why can't people find their identity in Jesus? Can I tell you, I love the position that I have, not because of me, but because of Christ. One, because it's true. But two, because he speaks with hope in my greatest despair. Under the idea of Adam, Jesus brings freedom to me. That's what everyone needs. Stop fighting. Stop pretending. Stop struggling. And just take what Jesus calls you to be in him. And guys, this is the, the beautiful message of Christianity. It doesn't mean, matter who people are or where they've come from. Our message remains the same. Jesus loves you, gave his life for you, and wants you to find new life in him. Jesus loves you, forgives you, gave his life for you, and wants you to find new life in him. doesn't matter if you're an alcoholic or a shopaholic. Jesus loves you, gave his life for you, I want you to find new life in him. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're a drug addict or a porn addict. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican. It doesn't matter if you, if you struggle with, with anger or, or fear or resentment or, or unforgiveness or whatever it is in your life. Jesus love you, loves you, gave his life for you, and, and wants you to, to find your life in him. No strings attached. It is a free gift, a free gift. But, but here's the question. Do you want to give your life in return? Will you give your life in response as Jesus has given his life for us? 
Well, we give our life in response to him. It doesn't matter where we've come from, what we've gone through. This text is intended to to stir our hearts with, with the depth of his richness so that we are reminded again of his goodness and allow that to, to flow into our lives and, and walk with the richness of Christ and experience the newness of his grace every day. In the 1960s and 70s, there was this man that, that rose to fame. Um, his name was Robert Craig Knievel. You might know him as Evil Knievel. Um, in the 60s and 70s, e- Evil Knievel uh, jumped over everything. <laughs> uh, but he made $30 million doing it. Uh, but, but it came at a cost. Uh, he broke over 40 bones. He broke his back seven times. Seven times. I could, I could see maybe an experience once or twice, right? But seven times is a level of insanity I hope I never get to. Um, seven times this man broke his back. But, but he not only lived the, the daredevil life when he was jumping. I mean, he lived that kind of life, I think, in, in everything that he did. In, in fact, the story goes, um, at, at 69 years old, his body was so broken. Um, he was, at that point of his life, he had direct injections daily straight into his back with synthetic medication because of the pain that he was in. At 69 years old, he had uh, smoked like a freight chain his whole life to the point that he had developed some lung diseases. His lungs were significantly scarred. He was on oxygen. He drank so heavily uh, that his his liver was suffering tremendously from that. He was held together with screws and fasteners. And at 69 years old, in this broken state, April 1st, Palm Sunday, 2007, Evil Knievel got up in front of a church in Garden Grove, California, and he gave his life to Christ. Even a daredevil like Evil Knievel was not foolish enough to take the great leap leap into eternity without Jesus. It doesn't matter where you've come from, what you've done, the free gift of God's grace cannot reach you. And that grace is transforming in our lives. There was a study done by the Barna Group, and I know the writing on here is very small, so don't worry. I'll tell you what it says. All I really want you to see are the three boxes, okay? But the Barna Group in 2018, they, they did a study on digital media, and they called it Digital Babylon, and they talked about the influence of Digital Babylon over young people, and they did a demographic study on the ages of 15 to 23, and they played up on the idea of the word Babylon, if you know anything biblically about about what Babylon represents. Um, Right now, as a church, we're reading through the Bible in a year, and if you're interested in that, we'll we'll present the the new plan here in the the next weeks as the new year starts. You'll be able to jump on and do a Bible through the year reading, but if you're doing it right now and you're in the Old Testament, we're reading about the book, or reading from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, and 
Daniel was a young man carried away into Babylon. Babylon was a group that came and conquered Israel, and they took them captive, and they carried them away. And in and, and representation of that, they're talking about this digital media being the idea of, of Babylon, meaning uh, media goes and captures the binds of young people, 15 to 23. They did a demographic study on, and, and they speak into their life. They're carrying them away. They have all this influence over them. And so much of the Barna Group did a study on how much influence actually exists over this demographic age of between 15 to 23. And what they found is there's over 2,700 hours, that large green box, over 2,700 hours annually uh, poured into the minds of young people, influencing them, carrying them away like a digital Babylon, right? That's, if you do the math, it's over seven and a half hours every day. That influence in, in the hearts and minds of young people. Uh, the smaller boxes, the, the black box in the bottom right corner, represents the average young person, which is in um, their spiritual influence, right? So spiritually, the average young person gets 25 minutes of spiritual influence a day versus the seven and a half hours of digital media from Babylon. And it's not saying like that, that the spiritual influence is even good influence. It's just a spiritual influence, 25 minutes a day versus seven and a half hours. And then the other box are the church-going kids. This doesn't mean even, even again that it's a healthy church or what kind kind of church it is, but the church-going kids get about an average of 45 minutes a day of a spiritual influence in their life. Now, you look at that, and some parents might look at that and start to freak out, right? Like, oh my word, my little baby, <laughs> all these voices speaking into them, they're taken away, they're captive, and you start getting really concerned, and you start obsessing about that, and all of a sudden, you want that little black box to be as big as the green box, and you start worrying about what people are saying to, um, to, that, to the, the kids as they're being influenced in this green box, and you just want to put them in this little bubble and never let them out, and you just only want to speak true things to them, and you're the only one that wants to say things to them, because you can, you can never trust what someone else might say to them. You could live like that in fear, um, but rather, I think God's heart's desire is to walk in faith. And, and, and the way that we do that is to understand, look, you're going to go into this world and people are going to say all things to you, all kinds of things to you. But it doesn't mean everything is equal in importance. In fact, it doesn't even mean everything is always true. There are some truths that should take precedent over all truths. In fact, there are some truths that should help us navigate towards what anyone else says in any other arena. In fact, if you read the book of Daniel, as we're in together, chapter one, verse eight, Daniel is just a teenager and he's carried off into Babylon and he's taught the Babylonian ways and raised in Babylonian education. But you know what happens in the life of Daniel with all of that Babylonian teaching in his heart and mind? Daniel lives for the Lord. How did Daniel do that? Well, in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it tells you he determined in his heart not to defile himself before the Lord. Daniel knew there were certain truths that should take precedent over all truth. All truths taught or all, not even truths, lies told. And that that truth should, should govern how he views the rest of life. You don't have to be there for everything your teenager goes through. But, but I think it's important to, to help your teenager learn how to think and why to think. Why do we do what we do? And what truth should take precedent? The world will speak to you in condemnation. You're not worthy enough. You're not good enough. You don't deserve this unless you conform. 
But God's truth, God's free gift is what sets us free in righteousness. All right, now, and if I just, at the, the very end here, I'm just going to read these last two verses. And if I could just say, if, if we could walk out with a truth and allow it to hang in our lives and govern the way we choose to move forward, this truth determines all else. And, and in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, he goes on and says this. Now the law came, he tells us the purpose of the law, to increase the trespasses. Like religious law is not given to show you how to, how to uh, earn your spiritual life forever. In fact, religious law only points out where you fail. That's the whole point of religion. It does, it's, not, it's only going to show you, why you how you mess up and why you're not worthy, right? So the law came in, uh, in to increase the trespasses, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Where sin reigned, grace abounded all the more, and it reigns in Christ forever. What he's saying is this, no matter how high you think your sin might be before God, Grace abounds and flows beyond it. No matter how deep your sin might go in your life, grace goes even deeper still. And God desires that grace to abound in your life so that every day you have the opportunity to be renewed in Jesus again and again. It's like waves of the ocean. It never stops washing upon the shores of your life so that you can find that freedom in Christ and be renewed in him. No matter how much you feel like you have failed, it is not enough to turn Jesus away from you because Jesus is more than enough. His grace abounds over and over, which leads me to this last illustration, one of the best I can give you. Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. (laughs) There is this area known as Gondor, (laughs) And in Gondor, there is this capital called Minas Tirith, or Tirith, excuse me, Minas Tirith. And, and in, at this capital, if you watch the Lord of the Rings, the return of the king, this, this is where a massive orc army came in and besieged the capital. And inside this capital, there is one little character known as, as Pippin the Hobbit. And Pippin, uh, when he's in this castle, as the orcs are besieging the city, they've overrun it and they're taking it by storm. Thousands and thousands of, of orcs fighting against the city. And, and Pippin knows their fate. But they continue to fight valiantly. But at the midnight hour, at the hills just above Gondor, the army of men show up. And just when they're about to be defeated, the army of men blow the trumpet of Rohan and ride into battle victorious, and Gondor is spared. And in this story, Pippin shares, in the book, he shares about this moment, he says, but Pippin, when he heard that horn, Pippin rose to his feet as if a great weight had been lifted from him, and he stood listening to the horns, and it seemed to him that they would break his heart with joy. 
And never in after years could he hear a horn blow in the distance without tears starting in his eyes. I think it's an incredible story. You think about, you're looking at death. And in the moments that you think that your life is about to end, you hear the sweet sound of rescue. Salvation has come. And the horns become a horn of rejoicing for your soul. And that moment impacted Pippin so deeply, the story goes, that any moment in his life after that, any time he ever heard a horn, tears would well in his eyes because it was a reminder to him of the salvation that he received. And guys, it's the same thing with Romans chapter 5. I know for some of us, a story of God's grace can sound like monotony. But the truth be told, it is the horn of salvation. That when you stare at death, and you think you have no hope. You're reminded of what Jesus did. The horn of his grace abounded beyond the depth of your brokenness. That you forever could celebrate the sound of that salvation and the freedom through which you received in Jesus. And when that becomes your life anthem, that message takes precedent over every message and becomes the governance of your life under the federal headship of Christ. This message has been brought to you by Alpine Bible Church in Lehigh, Utah. If you'd like more information, please visit us online at alpinebible.com.